As we go to the Word this morning, you can open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 90. Book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, chapter 90. Tomorrow's a new year. And next week, we'll jump back into our Genesis series. But this week, I wanted to draw our attention to Psalm 90 because, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because the psalm always comes to my mind as we approach the new year because of Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Of course, tomorrow we literally put a new number on our days, right? We're, we're counting them, aren't we? Right. 2,024 years in the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ so far in his resurrection. 2024. It's good to number our days. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I think Psalm 90 is also appropriate for us this morning because in Psalm 90, Moses, who's the composer of this psalm, interestingly, Moses doesn't have a lot of psalms to his name. We get a lot of David in the psalms, right? But Moses, this great man of God, who was used to deliver God's people out of Egypt, Moses cries out to God from the depths of his heart. The bulk of Psalm 90 from verses 3 to 11 is the cry of Moses' heart out of the depths of a kind of despair at the fleeting and fragile nature of human life. Listen to, listen to these words. He starts in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Right? You see, he starts by looking at the eternal. God, you are the eternal God. And then he looks down, he, his eyes fall down from heaven, and he looks around him. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. He's looking around at the reality of death, right? From the dust we were made, but to the dust we return. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, there is a watch in the night, eternal and temporal. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This isn't just some intellectual exercise for Moses. You, you can almost hear it from his heart, right? You wonder if perhaps he was undergoing some grief, some loss in this moment. As he's crying out, Lord, life is so fragile. It rises so quickly and then it fades. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So not only is Moses aware of the reality of, of death, of the brevity of life, of the limited number of our days, he also sees this is connected to the curse of sin. The reality of sin is connected, the reality of death is connected to the reality of sin, where we feel the weight of the fleeting nature of this world because we're under the wrath of God. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. See, he's numbering. 
Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Have we ever been in a spot somewhere like Moses is here? Even as a Christian, he's praying as a believer in God. But his heart is heavy with these realities of the brevity of life, of the reality of sin, of the weight of the curse, of the difficulty of life. Their span is but toil and trouble. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And so I want to look at Psalm 90 because, because it may be that you're in a space in your head and heart that's not unlike Moses. Some kind of heaviness, some kind of despair at the difficulty and brevity and pain of this world. And the question I want us to ask this morning is, how should we pray when we're in that place? Because Moses does not end the psalm at verse 11. I'm really glad he doesn't. He goes on. And verses 1 through 11 are a statement of fact. Moses is saying, this is how it is. But in verse 12, he starts to pray. In the sense that he begins to go to God and say, help me. And I think it's really instructive and practical, this pattern that Moses lays out for us. How to pray when our hearts are heavy. When our hearts are heavy, how should we pray? And we're going to see. So I'm going to begin just by reading these last verses, 12 through 17. Then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig right in. Psalm 90, beginning in verse 12. In the light of all this that we've just seen, what does Moses pray? So... Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, though our hearts may be heavy this morning, we ask that you would give us hope in your word we ask that you would teach us to pray in hope. And we ask as we look towards a new year that you would equip us in every way to approach our next days with wisdom, with courage, and with hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When our hearts are heavy, how should we pray? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. First thing we should pray is that the Lord would help us to face the realities of life head on. Moses' Moses's goal here isn't to forget or squash or kind of dodge around the realities of he's just worked through, the brevity of life, difficulty of this world. No, he says, God, I want to deal wisely. I want to understand how to live wisely, so teach me to number my days. 
The opposite would be a refusal to number our days. That would be the foolish path, <laughs> be to pretend like we're going to live forever. We're not. And so when we begin to number our days, what we begin to see is that our days are valuable. A, a limited resource is a valuable resource. And, and there is a limit to our days in this world. Our days are numbered. <laughs> that doesn't have to lead us to despair. We'll see why. We know why, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But our days in this life will have a definite number, and so it's worth thinking, how am I going to spend these days? I, I had my own kind of wake-up call along these lines this week. I was thinking about it as I was preparing the sermon and realizing I've been preaching from this pulpit for about four years consistently. So in January of 2020, Steve put me on the preaching schedule to preach regularly. So it's, it's four years uh, this month. And I was doing the math and thinking, how long will I preach? Okay, well, maybe 40 years. Maybe it will be less than that. Maybe it will be more than that. I don't know. But 40 years is a good round number for a long career, and I'm starting early. And so 40 years, and then I did the fraction thing. I always hated in school, but four out of 40, that's 10%. That's a tenth, and maybe that doesn't seem like very much for you, but that seemed like more than what I was uh, estimating for the percentage of my ministry that I've done so far, and that was kind of a wake-up call for me, um, and I think what, um, what the Lord impressed on my heart most seriously in that is just the the weight of each day and of each Sunday, of each sermon, that I want to treat what we're doing together right now with seriousness. There's, there's not an infinite number of times together. It's important that I take this seriously. I try to. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom That's the first way in which Moses shows us how to pray. Second, he cries out to God for help. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. This, I, I don't think, is the cry of an unaffected heart. He's not saying, return, O Lord, how long? He's saying, return, O Lord, how long? This is the prayer of a man on his knees. This is the prayer of a man who, and you read his story, was broken by life again and again and again. <laughs> Moses' life was no smooth sailing. It's also the prayer of someone who had seen God work incredible things. It's the prayer of a man who had seen God part the Red Sea for his people to walk through. And so he cries out, do it again, Lord. Save us again. Return, O oh Lord. How long? How often have we prayed that kind of prayer in the face of some kind of persistent difficulty where again and again and again we come to the Lord? How long, Lord? How long? And in some ways, I think Moses is applying this prayer not just to a specific difficulty, but as he's 
laid out earlier in the psalm to the brokenness of this world. It's how long, Lord? Not just how long would they, would they be in slavery in Egypt. How long will, be, will be, we be under the curse of sin and death? How long, Lord, until you deliver us? This is in some ways the deepest cry underneath every other cry of our hearts when we cry, how long? It's, Lord, how long will you allow your creation to suffer and groan under this darkness? Verse 16, it's kind of a parallel here in the structure of this passage. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Just act like you did before. Act like you did before. And he has some kind, of, some kind of apprehension of what that deliverance would look like. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all your days. Show your love to your people that we might rejoice. Right at the center of this is this line, right? That we may rejoice. And then verse 15, make us glad. Give us happy hearts, Lord. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses' hope here is not too specific. It's just quite broad. He has a sense, we're under darkness. We need the light. <laughs> we're under a labor of pain and of difficulty, and we long for joy. And of course, this is the Christmas season, right? And so the, the hope that was for Moses, a vague thing, has become for us a very specific thing, right? The angels announcing to the shepherds that night, right? I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here is God's salvation. Return, O Lord, how long? Here he is. God with us, come to save us. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Christ has come to reverse the effects of the curse. He came to bear the wrath of God on the cross in our place. He came to die our death on the cross in our place. He came to live a perfect life that we might be conformed to a new kind of humanity. And he came to be raised from the dead so that we could be raised with him and all creation with it. Jesus is the bodily manifestation of God's answer to Moses' prayer. And even as we continue to pray this prayer, the hope we look forward to is Christ's second coming. Even John, the Apostle John's prayer at the end of the book, right? What does he pray? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Return, O Lord, how long? What is it that we long for? We long to see his face. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse 15 is quite something. Think about this for a second. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses is, I don't know, I guess he's doing the math in his mind and saying, how many days have I seen trouble and how many days have I seen joy? He'd seen a lot of trouble. And his, his longing is to see joy. 
His, his longing is to be glad. And there's some kind of like proportionality thing going on here. But the, the wonderful news of the gospel is not that God will one for one repay our pain with joy at the resurrection. It's not proportional. It's actually lavish. And so it can be difficult in this, in this life to conceptualize that there might be some kind of joy, especially on our hardest days, that there might be some kind of joy ahead that could match the level of difficulty or of pain or of loss that we're experiencing right now. But the promise of Scripture is not that the joy to come will match the level of difficulty that we've had in this life. Actually, that it will far surpass it beyond comparison. We could spend so much time on this verse. I've, I think, preached from this passage before, but let me just remind you of 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 in the Apostle Paul. He says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. He's looking around at the difficulty of this world. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For Listen to this sentence. This light momentary affliction, Paul's not a lightweight in suffering. He probably had it worse than you. This light momentary affliction, he's not minimizing earthly pain. He's saying there's actually, earthly pain is great, but there's something that's actually far greater than it. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Not because the things of this earth are not sometimes painfully real, but because what is to come is even more real, is even more wonderful. We do not even have categories to understand yet the joy that we will experience in the presence of God forever. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. I want to draw your attention to verse 14 for a moment. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. This is a prayer that works in a couple of ways. Part of it's anticipatory, right? It's Lord, I'm longing to be satisfied in your love when I see you face to face. But this prayer, I think, can also be rightly prayed over us every day, every morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The Apostle Paul commands us, he says, rejoice. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. As Christians, we are we're actually commanded in Scripture to make joy an abiding state of our hearts. How is that possible in a difficult world? How is that possible when the curse of sin and death still in some ways falls heavy on us, though we've been delivered it from Christ? 
How is it that we can rejoice always? Well, Moses spells out one way to do it. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. How can we rejoice and be glad all our days? If we're satisfied by the Lord's steadfast love. The word for satisfy there is, has to do with smell and taste and a full belly. Right. This is Thanksgiving and Christmas feast metaphor dripping off of this word. Right? Satisfy us with your steadfast. We who are thirsty, slake our thirst. We who are hungry, fill our bellies. We who are waiting out in the cold, bring us in by the warm fire. And thaw out our hearts by the fire of God's love. Satisfy us in the morning with what? Your steadfast love. I asked this question on Christmas Eve, but I'll ask it again. Do you know the love of God? Not can you say with your mouth, I know God is love, because that's what the Bible says. Do you know God's love? Not have you gone to church a lot? It's not what I'm asking. Do you know in your heart the love of your creator? Do you know it? Do you know that you know that it's very important that you know the love of God? It doesn't matter what else you've done, whatever accomplishments you've made. Do you know the love of God in Jesus Christ? It's the most important thing. And don't have any hope that you're going to grow in Christ until you've known the love of God. We love, the Apostle John tells us, because he first loves us. It is not, you are not Spoiling yourself, you are not spoiling your soul by abiding in the love of God. It's not too lavish to just sit and meditate on the love of God. It's actually the air you need to breathe. May this be our meditation every morning. Satisfy me with your steadfast love, Lord. Some great writer of a previous century, probably one of you will remind me of who it is after the service, wrote about um, every morning making sure that his heart was happy in God. Before he did anything else, he, need to make, he needed to make sure that his heart was satisfied, that his heart was happy in God. That his heart was satisfied with the love of God. Maybe a resolution for the new year. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And then there's a turn, right? We've been praying for God's work. We've been longing for God's work, for his deliverance. And then there's a turn in this last verse, verse 17. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Again, asking for God's grace, but focused in a different direction this time. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, this is really interesting, right? Moses has impressed upon our hearts a real sense of the fleeting nature of this life. Like, is there anything that lasts? He's looked to God and said, well, God lasts. God's might, God's power is something we can bank on. But here at the end, Moses then prays, God, would you establish our work? Would you make it last? Would you make it so that something of what these hands have done might be established? Of course, he's not saying, I'm going to do it in my own strength. He's saying, God, you're going to have to do it unless the Lord builds this house. But he prays, establish the work of our hands. And so this is, I think this is really wonderful and and a a clarifying prayer as we head into the new year. Um, Making plans for all that is ahead. Lord, would you please establish the work of our hands? I think this, this is focusing in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, it's a good, uh, good litmus test for what's worth doing. Um, over everything you do in your life, can you pray this prayer when you're doing it? Like, think of the things that you do with your hands and with your heart and eyes. And like, when you're, when you're watching the fourth Netflix show in a row, Can you pray, Lord, establish the works of my hands? It's not a sin to watch Netflix. It's not a sin to rest. I think there's there's lots of good rest and recreation that we can rightly pray over. Lord, establish the work of our, establish the rest of my heart, right? But in in this learning wisdom to number our days, there are certain things that begin to fall by the wayside where we realize my time is limited and there are eternal stakes and what I do in this life will have echoes in eternity and I need to prioritize that which actually matters. I don't want to waste my life. Establish the work of our hands upon us. This kind of thinking, I think, should sharpen our focus on the discipline of evangelism There are eternal lives in the balance, in the question of life and death, and it all hangs on the name of Jesus Christ. Do we have a sense of urgency as we go into the new year Um, that perhaps the primary task of our lives is to make Jesus known, whatever else we're doing, whatever we're doing with our days, There are eternal consequences to our conversations about Jesus. And of course, beyond beyond that, there's what we do in this life has echoes in eternity, not just in terms of spiritual things. This is something that's really helpful about the writings of Martin Luther and, and other thinkers during the Protestant Reformation. The medieval Roman Catholic Church had made this real sharp division between the sacred and the secular. If you wanted to be really religious, you had to be one of the religious. You had to be a 
priest or a monk or a nun. And those are the people who are really close to God. And then there's the secular people, you know. You need someone to street, sweep the street, right? But it's not really any of, of much spiritual value, right, in the, in the long run. And one of the recoveries of the Reformation was to see, actually, all of life is meant to be lived to the glory of God. Everything we do, everything we say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, the apostle tells us, do all to the glory of God. Now, of course, there are some things which inherently we just can't do to the glory of God. Right? If we're in sin, we ought to repent of that. Right? Um, but then there's also, then there's just a lot of things like, all right, well, how do I do dishes to the glory of God? Or I brush my teeth to the glory of God. Um, all of us, in whatever our occupation may be, however lowly it may seem, we can do all of this to the glory of God, right? How am I driving the bus to the glory of God? How am I balancing someone's financials to the glory of God? How am I raising these children to the glory of God? How am I making this meal to the glory of God? Even the, the smallest tasks, which perhaps we suspect no one else will see, God sees. And there we can work as unto him. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our work matters. How ought we to pray? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, this passage we just read, we lift up as a prayer before you that you would teach us, that you would rescue us, that you would save us, and satisfy us, and make us glad that you would show us your work, and that your favor would be upon us in establishing the work of our hands. Fit us, Lord, in this new year with hearts saturated with the love of God, and hands ready to be about your work, that in everything we say and do, we might live our lives all to your glory, Lord Jesus, as we enjoy your love forever. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing as we come to a close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
glory to him for 